Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting for over two decades. He's a technology veteran in sales and marketing. Ooh. And we're talking to him today to discuss the present challenge. What is it? How to buy or how to sell in today's market. He's an out-of-the-box thinker, and he knows how to deliver results in a chaotic market. So here we are, Era of Disruption, coming to us live from Highland Park, Illinois. Please welcome our disruptor, regional sales manager at Redpoint Global, Inc., Josh Bilo. <laughs> Bilo, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm glad that you referenced the Bilo in selling. I had to. <laughs> I just have to, before we jump in, I just have to say any of my references to anything are not part of my organization, Redpoint. I know. <laughs> so I'm with Redpoint. I have to have the disclaimer out there that these are my own thoughts and judgments and anything we talk about is, is from me. Fantastic. Okay, totally got it. I just have to point out the irony, and I love the ironies in life, but you are in sales and your last name is Bilo. But that's the irony because nothing is as it seems, right? <laughs> I think that's a challenge because everyone wants a discount. But we're not in the age of discounts anymore. Like that's for commodities. We're in disruption. So before we get into this, right? So we we have challenges today. Challenges, right? What is your main ingredient, your main like common denominator ingredient for disruptive innovation? Oh, you know. I really believe it's curiosity and impactfulness, those two things, right? Because curiosity is how they're going to accomplish something. What's the outcome? The impactfulness is goes, impactfulness goes above and beyond selling something to somebody, right? It's being impactful in an organization, impacting people's lives, which has been my main goal all along. It just took me about 27 years to get there. Right. You know, I had to have a couple of gray hairs, a gray beard, you know, but it's truly that impactfulness and that curiosity about what companies are doing. And then you can leverage yourself as a trusted advisor, which is an overused term, by the way. I apologize for using it, but it's it, it makes sense in the context that we're talking. Yes, I agree. It is a hackneyed expression, isn't it? Yeah. But curiosity, I've heard that from a couple of disruptors and impactfulness. Now that now that I really like impactfulness in what in terms of outcomes like tell me more about that yeah when i became 50 <laughs> i kind of changed my whole thought process and i realized my goal was to be impactful what that means if i can change somebody's life at a company i can coach them through a process i can have an outcome that they desire i can help them through something but it's personally and professionally it's both. Got I, it. I think if you connect just on a level of 
hey, do you want to buy my stuff, right? You have to be able to impact that person and get them motivated and coach them to do something, whoever you're talking to. That's the impactfulness. Got it. That makes sense. Well, we have a lot of things going on today, right? I mean, we've got the metaverse. We've got so many disruptive technologies coming out, right? This is people, uh, the buying cycles change. People are more educated. Let's talk about the status quo for a bit, right? Let's paint that picture before we get into like what's changing or what's needed to change. Let's look at the status quo that really has been disrupting sales and marketing and the buying cycle. What would you say? Well, I don't think status quo is okay anymore. I don't think, I think status quo, if you're status quo, you're going to fail. I've seen big companies fail miserably with status quo. And the larger you are as an organization, the harder it is to unstatus quo yourself. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry. So what is? what do you think, how would you describe the status quo today that needs to change, that people are going to fail? I mean, this is a real issue. We have a lot of big companies that listen to this podcast. They are afraid of disruptors. They want to know what or what do we need to do? Yeah, the status quo is basically you can't keep on doing stuff that you're doing today. I mean, it's not working. You talked about a lot of things. You threw out Metaverse, you threw out Web 3.0 and all that kind of stuff. We're not even there yet, right? Everyone's getting excited about that. We're five years away from Metaverse. The status quo is, okay, it's okay what we've been doing. it. We've been doing this for, you know, five, 10 years. We've been selling stuff. We're doing stuff, expecting the same outcome today as we did then. And the status quo is just keep on doing what you're doing, right? And so I think today many companies are so big that they've gotten these silos, bureaucracies, and everything else, that it's difficult for them to unwind that status quo. They're trying, but it's so difficult to say, how do we do something different? Yeah, what do you think needs to be done differently? Because COVID's just accelerated this. I mean, this has been changing. The buying cycle's been changing. But COVID just went, and then we're in this, oh, shoot moment, right? What's the biggest thing that needs changing? Look, I don't think it's just COVID. I think it's inflation. I don't know if I could say that word on your show. I mean, is that okay? <laughs> can we talk about, yes. can we yes, talk we about can. inflation? Yeah. Can we talk about all the shit that's going on in the marketplace today, right? Yes, let's talk I about mean, it. Look, big companies weren't prepared for any of this. And I, I actually, so I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story. I was at the health club today. I was in the sauna early in the morning, like five, six o'clock. I was talking to an accountant and I said, why are these big companies planning for disasters? Well, plan for disaster recovery and technology, but why aren't you planning for a pandemic? Why aren't you planning for this? Because the odds that it'll happen were slim tight on, but look what happened. So it accelerated their need for digital, their need to do things more effectively with data, their need to just do things effectively as a team, as opposed to these silos and organizations. That's not happening yet though. <laughs> That's, it's still a process that companies are trying to figure out. Why do you think it's not happening? I mean, we've had a pandemic, it's been two years. I mean, that is a big, I mean, I see SMBs pivoting very fast and they have the technology to pivot fast, right? But we have a lot of large corporations that employ a lot of people. This is a big shakeup. 
and sales is pivotal, right? Why do you think they're not changing fast enough? You actually said it right, right? The SMBs know what they're doing. They're able to pivot quickly. Within chaos comes opportunity, you know, that old saying, right? But the people that are able to take advantage of opportunity are SMBs, right? Mid-sized companies. They can change on a dime and they have a team of people that say, okay, let's do this. Let's try this. A Fortune 500 company has a lot of culture involved, a lot of processes involved. So how do you unwind those processes that fast? You can't, you can't. So what companies were doing during COVID is they were thinking, oh my God, people aren't going to the stores anymore. They're not buying stuff in our stores. We gotta go digital. So how can we buy product? How can we buy technology as fast as possible? Technology is not gonna solve that problem for those companies. It's the change in the people and the culture is that's gonna solve that problem. Technology without people is just technology. That's, we, people used to buy that 20 years ago. They used to just buy technology, put it on the shelf, shelf, right? Today, there has to be an outcome involved, right? There has to be a process involved. So all these companies are changing their buying processes to say, well, what's important? What is it gonna to contribute to our bottom line, top line? They're looking at it, but there's the challenge because they're not nimble anymore. They can't buy quickly. They can't make decisions quickly. That's the challenge. Wow. They can't buy quickly. <laughs> <laughs> they can't buy quickly. They can't make decisions quickly. Tell me more about that. Yeah, if you look at large companies, large companies are starting to implement these buying processes of now we don't want to be burnt. We want to have an MVP. We want to pilot your software. We want to make sure it works in our environment. Mm -hmm. right? We want to make sure it's going to do what it's supposed to do. That's changed the whole company. selling game, hasn't it? It's changed the whole selling game. It's changed the whole compensation game for salespeople. It's changed everything. Because if you think about it, a pilot or an MVP can go on for three to six months. And yeah. it might be a fraction of the dollars that a company might want to bring in. So not only has it changed that, it's changed how companies forecast revenue that are software companies. Because now it's a different world. You can't just sell a product anymore in three years down the, you know, three-year commitments, subscription service, great. It's now, we're gonna try this for six months. Well, that's even changed the whole engineering cycle too, right? Because there's a whole implementation. So for a large enterprise contract, right? Yeah. And now you have this pilot. This is very interesting. So you got this pilot. I'm gonna pilot this for six months. Yep. That is an engineering wrap up, ramp up. That's gotta be super quick, super fast. It's almost like tech technology in a box, <laughs> right? I'd like this option, this option, I'd like this option, this option, this option, and then boom. Yeah, I wanna test it out. Oh, we don't like it so much. We're gonna try something out. I mean, that's a whole new product development. Yeah, I think those SaaS software as a service has been enabled to be able to do that, right? But what you have to do is put guardrails on. You have to say, look, don't start going out there and wanting to solve the world's problems. You see, when you buy software, typically you're trying to solve a huge problem at your organization if it's an enterprise software, right? And with an MVP approach, right, you're trying to solve one problem just to prove that the solution works. Mm -hmm. And so that MVP approach is, all right, let's put guardrails on it. 
but unless you're, you're you got to be, it, it's if without those guardrails on that MVP approach, they get to mile wide and mile deep and they start adding stuff to it. And that's where they fail. And then the MVP fails. And then you spend three months on an MVP and then no one has a deal. They're upset. They didn't get it. And then they go to the next technology. It's a different, different world because I don't think it's necessarily COVID. I think the economy has driven us to that process. COVID sped up digital transformation and usages of data and combining in-store, digital, all that kind of stuff. COVID sped that up. COVID sped up kind of the sales process, but again, changed, right? Because you don't have to get on a plane and travel. It evened the playing field of big companies and small tech companies. Because I'm not taking, you know, someone's not taking you to the US Open. You know, I worked for a very, very large software company, not to mention any names, but people used to take them to wherever they wanted to go, islands, right? And they would meet the CEO of the most famous company and all that kind of stuff. And they would buy that way. So the mid-sized software company was able to step in during COVID and go, okay, man, I'm going to show you our technology can actually do something for you. And so the game changed there too. So very interesting. Well, the COVID thing is an economy thing, if you really think about it, right? I agree. I yeah. agree. Yep. All right. So that's changed the buying cycle. What's the solution to this? Because you have this big shakeup and it's going to take real critical thinkers in sales to navigate this disruption, right? And innovate as they're going on. What's the solution as this happens? Yeah, that's the key. You have to have good leaders in the space that can be those critical thinkers to help the individual contributors drive a process in this new, kind of this new age, right? Yeah. And those, leaders have, those leaders have to have that understanding of what's going on. It's a holistic approach, right? It should have always been a holistic approach to selling, right? Yeah, that's another hacking term, but you're right. It should have been another holistic approach, right? Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> any way to describe it. Holistic approach, but it's well, true. No, but, but I think holistic approach is actually very, very relevant here because it's dealing with people that are unsure of their jobs. It's dealing with companies that are unsure of their future that you're selling to, and they can be fired at any moment. They don't want to misstep. So if they're not believing in what you sell and they're not kind of, you're not advising them and understanding the impact, like I said before, impact, right? You're not making an impact on them. They're not going to buy anything from you. Yeah. They might buy some from someone else that's doing it. But I think the leaders have to change. Leaders used to be, what's the revenue coming in this quarter? What's the revenue coming in? Forecast, forecast, forecast. We're on an Excel spreadsheet, whatever. I think that is fine, right? We have to predict revenue as much as we can. That's what leaders do. That's how you predict your investment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it has to be more involved in that. You have to understand what's going on with the companies in a potential territory, in a potential space. How are they reacting? How are they responding? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they feeling right now, man? Are they afraid? If they're afraid, what are you going to do? So you have to have all that. I think it's more of a self, 
Okay, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I also self-awareness thing. Right? Uh, no, no, no. I'm not going to go there with all those terms. But it really is this whole this this approach of looking at everything and asking the question. Well, this is your role in a company, right? You're supposed to do this job. What happens if you don't, right? Yeah. Asking those tough questions. Are you going to be fired? Are you scared? I mean, I, I'd be worried. You know, you're in a huge role in your company. If this isn't successful, your job's on the line, right? That's right. We have to have these honest conversations with people that salespeople aren't really, I don't say all, there are some salespeople that are, but salespeople, a lot of salespeople aren't equipped to having those conversations because they're so narrow-minded on the money. And once you're narrow-minded on the money, you end up doing stupid things. That's a really good point. And I think that is the mic drop of this show because we're really talking about, I mean, I think getting back to basics in selling. I, I hate to say that. It's another cliche, right? No, I, I talked about it. I talk about it all the time. But this is really back to basics. I mean, I have a lot of sales books. You know what? I was thinking of something of like, like old book sales closing techniques, like Les Dane, like back in the day, right? Speaking to a, a, a man, he's like, 80, 85. He was back in the day when he was selling technology for, God, I can't remember the company in Boston, but they had to have those hard conversations and they had to know everything about the technology. And they, they even like implemented it once it was sold. And then we have this change of the sales system. So you've got SDRs and you've got account execs, you've got closers and you got, and the knowledge we have engineers, you know, sales engineers, they come in with the knowledge, right? Yeah. So you have these like silos that worked, but now what you're saying is that's not working in a certain aspect, right? And these, your sales reps, your sales execs, they're really having to get back to the impact, the, the ruin, the what's going to happen if you don't do this, those hard conversations, those ice water dips, that it's not about the speeds and speeds, but it's about the outcomes. It's, it, listen, it's always been about the outcomes. Well, yes. Right? But the problem is not the problem. I don't think it's a problem. I think most companies had so much money to buy software and there was so much money pouring into it that no one thought about the outcomes like they do today. We all talked about desired outcome. What's desired outcome? I ask companies all the time, what's your desired outcome? We don't know. We just know we need to buy this. Well, okay. That doesn't make much sense. Do me a favor, come to me in a month when you figured out your outcomes, and then we can talk. It's a challenge because, again, people are tasked with doing stuff that executives say, okay, we got to buy this shiny new toy because I understand it's doing something. And we have, if you look at all the acronyms out there, DXP, CDP, MXP, blah, 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 blah. We're acronyming people to death. And the analysts are acronyming people to death, and no one knows what the heck they want because no one's helping them get there. And I should say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm generalist, right? But salespeople, if they're not knowledgeable, can be dangerous. Yes. You sell something to a company where somebody could potentially be fired. I mean, that's dude, most salespeople sit there going, I don't care, I got paid. I don't want, you see, that's where it comes impactfulness. I don't want to sell something to somebody that's going to be fired. I want to sell something to somebody that's going to be impactful to help them get a better, their job, grow in their job, 
or get a better job or whatever it may be, right? That's a different kind of salespeople person today than the old salesperson that was all about, you remember that term coin operated? Yeah. One of the worst terms in the world because the salespeople should never be coin operated. Yes, you should want to make money, but if your end goal is making money, you're going to fail today. In the past, I think it was possible. It was possible to make money being coin operated because people at a velocity were buying stuff. So you talked about COVID. Yeah. You talked about the economy. And so COVID and the economy go hand in hand, right? Yeah. And so you can't be coin operated anymore. People are afraid. This changed the dynamic of people on a daily basis that are, they were afraid they were gonna die. Part of their life, right? And now they're at a company and they're afraid of the financial. Look at all the technology companies that just laid off people. Oracle just cut salespeople. Why do you cut salespeople? I didn't know that. Why do you laid off people? I know why. The demand has changed. Yeah. The demand is you never cut salespeople. I mean, salespeople is one of the things that you know shouldn't be the first to go, even though it is. It's ironic, right? You know, you should always ironic. It's very ironic. And they laid off a bunch of salespeople, but companies are slowing their role in buying technology. So we're going to continue to see this, this slowdown of deals that are coming in. And I don't see it changing with big companies. I'm not talking about mid-sized SMBs. I think SMBs and some of these critical, there are critical software companies out there that are cloud management companies, infrastructure companies that do stuff with clouds and infrastructure and all that kind of stuff that are very important. I'm talking about the marketing stuff, the market, the MarTech, the ad tech, the data. That's all kind of slow rolling right now. That is fascinating. I think that's probably my favorite part, sound bites of this particular podcast. Companies, it's a slow roll of buying technology today. So if we were to find this disruption and this innovation needed, how would we, how would we couch it? How would we phrase it? I got to think about this. This is a thinking podcast today. This is a thinking podcast because if I give you, give you an answer off the cuff, I'm going to end up. Because our listeners are thinking too. They're thinking this right now. All right. So the disruption is without an outcome, don't buy stuff. Think about your outcome. Outcome, outcome, outcome. What's the outcome? Then think about the people that are involved in that outcome in your organization. Who's involved in producing results for that outcome? And then go find the technology. Don't go find technology first and fit people to that technology without a plan, without a desired outcome. Because you'll fail. You're absolutely right. Start with the have and work back to the do and the be. Who who are the people that are wearing those roles? What are their hats? What are their holy Do you have the right people? Also, do you have the right people in the roles? Right. You might have the wrong people in the roles. Can you give okay. me an example of that scenario? Which scenario? The wrong people in the roles? Well, the, the whole thing of like looking at the outcome, then looking at the people, and then looking at the technology. You don't have to like name names or anything like that, but you know, give me a scenario so I can really like, it's one thing to know it high level, but to really know it. 
Give me an so analogy. I'll give, you a, I'll give you an analogy in a in a large company. Large okay. companies, you know, there's a saying. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I'm using all these sayings, but I think it's important. I don't know. Salespeople are all about sayings, which is I try not to. I try to catch myself and joke about it, right? Yeah. Because I, I catch myself saying it, but I think it's important. It describes something. So if you think about it, like data, data is new oil. Right? Yes. Data, first party data, new oil, first party, first party, first party data. What companies have to do now is look inward at their first party data. How are we utilizing our first party data? Are we effective? Right? So this brings up marketing people that aren't equipped to understand their data. So they now have the tension of opposites where they're talking to the data people and the data people are like, we don't want to give up the data. I don't know, you know? And so there's this whole disruption there where they need the data to be successful. But the outcome is not, I got an email out the door. That's not an outcome. Mm -mm. But every company sits there and says, the patient was success, the operation was success, but the patient didn't make it, right? You know, an old <laughs> analogy that I love to use. Because they got a lot of emails out, they sent a lot of emails, it was no costs, they got open rates and all that kind of stuff, but they targeted nobody through data. So that is really the challenge. So the right people in the right place, the right marketers that understand that data is important, and then the right strategy for utilizing that data to be able to do something with it. That's the outcome. Yeah. What's it like when you say to prospects, okay, you don't know your outcome? You don't know your people that come back to me when you know that? I don't phrase it that way, but that's a good <laughs> question. You know, I give them homework. I give them homework. I say, look, slow down a little bit. By the way, salespeople should never say slow down, right? It's important, though, to slow them down because you have to say, look, unless we know your outcomes and what you want to accomplish, I can't, I can't position anything. I can help you. How often do you walk into a doctor's office? The doctor asks what your, your outcome is? You know? No, they should. And, and one day they will. Probably not in our lifetime, but. Right. Right. But similar, similar in sales. We have to be able to understand outcomes and we have to ask them politely. Right. But you, you, you can't do it unless you've earned the right to ask the question. Oh, good point. Good point. How do you predict this whole shakeup in the buying process and sales is going to change the landscape in the next year, two, three years? I think the buying process is going to be slower. It's going to be more outcome driven and revenue driven, specifically tied to a project. How are we going to increase our revenue? I'm seeing it already. They're being asked, is it going to grow our revenue by 10%, 5%, 20 thing is, is like everyone that gets asked that question, they give a really low number and then their project gets eliminated. Why? Because they're, they're trying to be, uh, they're trying to be conservative, right? Yes. And you can't, if you're too conservative in your approach, why should I buy the software? It's going to increase my revenue by 1%, depending on what company. I mean, there are companies, 1% is pretty big. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's different types of technology, right? There's not only revenue generating technology, there's also other, right? So I believe it's going to, People in, within Fortune 500 companies, people in general, are going to have to tie it to revenue 
tied to some kind of thing, not ROI anymore. ROI is kind of, I, I like to kind of put it off. I think ROI is, you shouldn't say dead. That's actually really good. That's a really good ROI is dead headline. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just going to get people shooting me for that. You know, there's a lot <laughs> no, of money on right. ROI. But no, but, but, but it is because it's not about the ROI. I can get a return on investment quickly with software. Just, I have to discount my software and look at what you're looking to make the first year and then we're done. I want to look at contributions to profit. Different. Hell yeah, I like that. I like that. Did you ever see, did you ever think you would be in this position to be looking at the whole buying process and the sales process like this? I, I'm, I'm in it every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I have a lot of talks like this. I, I, I talk to a lot of people. That's called impactfulness, right? You know, my goal and my journey is impactfulness. And any way I can cre create an impactful, be an impact on anybody, whether it's this podcast, anybody else, that's kind of my thing. Look, I don't get paid for this. You're not paying me today to come on your show. But it's something that I enjoy and it's part of my holistic world to be impactful. Yeah. Well, I like it. And I like this whole buying process and sales. Pro it'll have to be contributions to revenue. And it'll be very interesting to see how this shakes up. These pilot Absolutely. six months packages here, we'll do this, we'll do that. It's really going to shake up the whole development side as well. I agree. And well, because the development side is you have to be able to develop a product that you can actually do that. Right. Right. Yeah. How can what I go online massive? and test your software? What a massive change. It's actually really cool. I know some people are freaking out, <laughs> but. Listen, you know what? Everybody's freaking out right now. I don't think there's anybody that's not in the technology world and business. I think everyone is concerned, afraid. They don't know. I think it's our jobs as advisors to be able to help them get through that. And we have to understand there are people that are buying this, right? They're not just money-making machines for us. There's a person there that's going to have to buy our technology and have to defend it. Yeah, that really takes it, takes it out of this, almost like the suppressive digital world that suppresses your identity. It puts the human factor back into it. And who'd have thought, right? Who'd have thought that would have happened? Look, I think human factor is coming back into everything. And it's Amen. younger generations that are bringing it back. I think we went far enough away. This is just my own two cents here that we've made you know, kids are depressed. People are depressed. This and this and this. Because we've gone so far away from human interactions and we've gone to this digital world. So you talked about metaverse and 3.0, web 3.0. There's a misnomer in there because it's not being created. It's demarketization of technology. So the Facebooks, the Googles don't have control anymore. That's the purpose. Good. That's the purpose. It's, it's part of it. It's not going to replace stuff. It's going to help people. And I believe there's a huge space for it in healthcare. I agree with you. I think there is a huge space for it in healthcare. I mean, it's already being piloted in certain things, but I think it's going to be massive. Yeah. But that's going back to your talk about people, right? So going back kind of full circle, again, I'm full circle. You know, I just, <laughs> I every nook and cranny, we could shooting fish in a barrel. I still don't even know what those things mean, you know, right. but 
but it's going back to the basics, like you said. It's going back to the fundamentals of just being a person. We forgot how to be people along the way. Yeah, that's a very painful lesson, but it's a good lesson. It's a good lesson Great to have. Lesson. It Love is. the lesson. Yes, yes. So, what do you do in your off time when you're not? selling what do you what, what's your crazy passion what do you do uh you know for impactfulness in your hobbies or outside passions or what what we can't talk no i'm just kidding uh so <laughs> no, no. so I, I i'm an avid boxer weightlifter fitness person but i also coach a lot of people in my off time and i do it for free do you coach do in boxing or you coach in weightlifting or what do you coach? No, in? I coach people. I'm developing. Oh, you coach people. I coach people. I got into that because I realized there's a need to help people. And it's kind of like, you know, that impactfulness I talk about. I like to just help people realize it just is and accept things and move on. Right? Yeah. So I've been involved. People are trying yeah. to look at everything to be perfect. They're going to be a very unhappy person. Well, I've I, again, I help people through all those tough times, and executives, other people say I missed my calling, and I should be coaching people, you know, for a living. Once it becomes monetized, it changes the whole thing. I enjoy it. It's something I enjoy. But my goal, I brought up three kids. My whole thing, I know your producer asked me this question of, do you want to talk about your job? And I said, I don't know. I really, my job was to bring up three ch children. You know, one's graduated from UCLA a year and a half ahead of schedule. That's you know, badass. Wisconsin. Yeah. And, and he, he just got, my, my son just got a job with a great consulting company at 20 years old. That's fantastic. Right. I'm a freshman on a tennis team in high school. That's killer tennis player. So that's my job. That's my impact. The rest of it I just learned throughout life because I've, I've, I've seen pain. I've seen life stories. And I like to help other people because of those life stories. That's beautiful. Well, life bleeds, doesn't it? It can. It can. It can. It can bleed. You know? Tell me about your foundation. You have a foundation, right? Yeah, so I established this uh, uh, Lee Aaron Bilo Foundation. My brother lived seven years with ALS, and he lived seven years of ALS because he cared about other people, huh? Other than himself, his philosophy was: if I thought worrying would help, I would worry a lot more. But it's not going to help, so I might as well do something special. Wow! So he wrote two children's books with his eyes because he couldn't talk. Wow. And he was an inspiration to a lot of people. Actually, he and I posted a lot of stuff together, inspiring people in general, where when he passed away, people were sad that they weren't going to hear our stories anymore. Mm. So I saw the hardest thing was, and can I tell you the story? I want to make sure we still have time. Yes, tell it. First of all, my father is a wonderful human being. My mom just passed away in May. It's okay. My father's a wonderful human being. He spent his entire life savings providing care to my brother. A lot hmm. of care. Caregivers round the clock. Because when you have ALS, you, you have to have care. 
And I was getting on a plane to go to Las Vegas to a conference. My dad calls me up on the phone, goes, I don't have much more money. I don't know how I'm gonna provide care. I'm getting on the phone, starting to call people, like, oh my gosh, you know, how are we gonna pay for Lee's care, my brother? I get to Vegas there. The next day, my brother passed away. Wow. Like my own brother almost knew that we were running out of funds, that money wasn't available anymore. So the foundation, which is not doing very well, we started it right before COVID. Right. Yeah. I had all these high hopes. What I realized, the foundation was actually to help provide care for people that have ALS, right? But what I realized is no one wanted to do that. Like Augie's foundation has a great foundation. Uh, he's a life fitness guy out in California. Anyhow, he has a great foundation to try to solve ALS. Everyone wants mm. to solve these problems, but no one wants to care for the people that have these problems. Interesting. And you're right. They do want to solve it. And that's why my foundation, I, I went through, by the way, I had a great law firm here in Chicago, a friend from high school who's a partner, put together all my associations. I was fortunate. He put together all the paperwork, did everything for free. I think I let him down, but it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough raising money for care for people with a specific illness like ALS. It just... It's a hard thing to do. It was noble at the time. And I'm still trying. And I'm still speaking to people and still helping people. But it's it's tough. It's tough. It's a big education campaign. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Start a podcast. <laughs> I, yeah, I would love to. I would love to start a podcast. I have time like to start a podcast right now. Okay, good. Do it. Bam. <laughs> I'm just going to do a podcast. You know, so let's just start a podcast. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. Josh, how do people get a hold of you? And what should they get a hold of you about? Talk about the new buying process. Talk about this disruption in contributions to revenue. If you can mentor them, what do you mentor about? Tell me how they get a hold of you. They get a hold of me through my I'm fine. Am I fine giving my email address? I don't know if that's appropriate. Absolutely, uh, you can. Uh, so my email address is Josh, J-O-S-H, dot bylow, B-I-L-O-W, at gmail.com. That's the best way. They can reach me on LinkedIn under Josh Bylow. I'm always available on LinkedIn, but I'm always available to help. If there's somebody out there that needs some help or just wants to figure out what's next in their the world's I'm there. You got it. Josh, thank you so much. I wish you all the best of luck with your foundation. And I found this entire disruption in the buying process very enlightening. It's going to be very interesting to see how it shakes out. I'm excited for it. You know, if everything... You're probably the only one excited for it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not excited for it. Listen, you just got to adjust. Right, you gotta adjust with it. If you would, if you don't adjust, you do, you fail. And we're gonna end it on that note because that is the best mic drop too. If you don't adjust, you fail. Thanks. It's been my pleasure. This was awesome. Great seeing you. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed at Josh or me, tell someone about this podcast and tell someone to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from this show. 
Thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.